This week on The Pros and Cons presents Murderish, Southern California, a suburban soccer mom gets mixed up with the wrong crowd at work, and the consequences are lethal. We're the pros and cons, two true crime producers, Bethany Jones. That's me. And Adriana Padilla. Every episode, we bring you insight into the world of true crime. We're teamed up with our friend and fellow true crimey, Jamie Rice, the host of the popular podcast Murderish. Hey, everyone. Thank Hi. you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So we're excited to have her on and do this crossover episode. If you want to learn more about our podcast, why not visit us on our homes at iTunes, Stitcher, and follow us at Spotify. And please, you know, tell us what you like the most about our podcast and um, rate and review us. Um, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at the Pros and Cons Podcast and on Twitter at the Pros and Cons Show. And Jamie, where can people find you? People can find me in Murderish Podcast on Twitter at Murderish Pod. They can find me on Instagram at Murderish Podcast. And I have a nice, um, fun Facebook group and just search Murderish Facebook discussion group and you'll find me. I'm also a member of your uh, Murderish Facebook group, and this week I was posting away, putting in little articles. I love hearing events. from you in there. <laughs> I know, Bethany. You have. I'm like, where do you find this stuff? Like you, like you are like this wealth of knowledge. She really is. Crime. <laughs> so this week, what cracked? Well, it didn't crack me up, but um, that big serial killer case just got yes. announced, and I have a theory. He heard through the grapevine someone in his family was going to get an Ancestry.com account. And he was like, I just need to come clean right now. <laughs> he was like, I don't want. They're all afraid of those DNA tests. Oh, my God. I can just imagine it. They're saying, oh, I've got a Groupon. Let's all do this. <laughs> like, oh, shoot. Busted. I won't be making it to, <laughs> to your school play this year. Oh, man. So we decided that we enjoy each other's podcast so much and we're all southern <clears throat> and we're all southern california girls at heart so we're going to do a five or six uh, part series on the best cases that come out of southern california that have intrigued us i'm so, really in, uh, really looking forward to going on that journey with you all and both literal and figurative because we will road trip at times we are going to road trip it's going to be good 23 beers, bottles of beer on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've already gone on a road trip with Bethany when we did the Innocence Project, so. What kind of road tripper is she? Is she like the, I'm going to sleep in the passenger seat and ignore you? Or is she like, let's turn the tunes up and do karaoke or. 
She's the one that's like, let me tell you about this murder case I'm following right now. <laughs> oh my God. Did we just become best friends? <laughs> She's like, okay, let me download you on the prisoners that I've been talking to. Oh, I we, will be all ears on that. We listened to the podcast repeatedly on the way to San Diego when we went. So that's awesome. Just oh be prepared. Sounds like we're the same kind of road trippers. Okay, perfect. So today's case is one that intrigued us because not only did we cover it um, as producers, but also the case comes from an area that Jamie grew up in. I did. Redlands, where I grew up and went to high school and um, partially raised my family there. So Jamie, tell us a little bit about the case. This case is particularly complicated and we were all riveted by the twists and turns this case took. It's the case of John Hilrich. John Hilrich is an all-American guy. John grew up in Southern California. He comes from a good home and is close with his sisters. He goes to church and loves basketball. In 1996, 24-year-old John Hilrich marries his sweetheart, Amy Nicole, who goes by Nikki. They seem like a match made in heaven. John is a devout Christian, a recent graduate from California Baptist University, and a hard worker with big ambitions. Nikki is very caring. She's good at taking care of people and is training to be a nurse. Three years later, in 1999, they welcome their first child, a daughter. Four years later, they welcome their second child, a son. Nikki is a stay-at-home mom. She loves taking care of the house and the kids. John has a great career and he's making great strides at work. In 2003, John's company decides to transfer him to the Ventura office 140 miles away. So Redlands is about an hour east of Los Angeles, and I would say that Ventura is on the opposite end, maybe from Redlands, Ventura is about a two and a half hour drive. Mm -hmm. But Nikki doesn't want to move. She's got two young kids, her family nearby, and she can't imagine starting over in a new place where she doesn't know anyone. She is afraid to be isolated. John obviously doesn't want to commute 140 miles each way, but he doesn't want to give up the opportunity. It can really propel his career to the next level. John and Nikki come to the arrangement that John will get an apartment in Ventura, stay there all week, and then come home to be with family on the weekends. But this happy arrangement would not stay happy for long. The plan runs smoothly for nearly a year, but Nikki becomes discontent. With John gone for a significant amount of time, he's not home when one of the kids is sick or when something needs fixing in the house. So Nikki kind of feels like she's a single mother, you know, and isn't getting the support that she needs, Um, you know. And then when John finally is able to come home on the weekend, he's been exhausted from his long week at work and, you know, he isn't as participatory and engaged with the family as Nikki would like. And even more troublingly, John stops attending church. Pretty soon, John stops coming home every weekend. He has too much work. He's too tired to make the two and a half hour, three hour drive back. And it's just easier for him to stay in Ventura. The distance between John and Nikki now isn't just geographical. It's now also emotional. Nikki is particularly close to her parents And her parents begin to have concerns as to why John seems to be disengaging from this relationship in the family. Hmm. I wonder why. I wonder why. 
Nikki's parents' concerns are so strong that they secretly attach a tracking device to John's car without telling Nikki. Now that is a far leap. That's, <laughs> I mean, that, <laughs> I'm, cl- <laughs> I'm close to my parents and I'm close to my brothers and I've told them about relationship issues and never once have they been like, oh, my next step is to put a tracker <laughs> a tracking device. I mean, I, <laughs> I kind of love it. I love the crazy of it. You know, but, God, they were really going to get to the bottom of this. They were. Um, The tracking device reveals John's movements and that he frequents one particular address in Ventura, where on occasion he spends the night. Um, John's in-law's suspicions are now completely raised, and they go to the length of hiring a private investigator. Again, seems like a bit of a stretch. And they want to know exactly what John is getting up to. Who's he spending the night with? What is this address? Why is he disengaging from the family? And they still have not told Nikki, their daughter, the lengths that they are going to. So what does a private investigator do? They investigate and dig up dirt. And they aren't part of law enforcement. So, you know, if you do hire a private investigator to look into something in your life, no, they can't arrest or bring charges against someone. So private investigators are often used to, um, you know, maybe research infidelity, to research money that's gone missing, um, you know, to track down old family members, things like that. Now, are they able to cross boundaries that law enforcement is not allowed to cross? I believe so. Hmm. I believe so. But that may be one advantage. There's some disadvantages, it sounds like. For a PI versus like an actual law enforcement detective. Um, but it sounds like there's also maybe some correct things that they can do, a little more freedom. Yeah. Um, but then they're not building a court case. That's exactly So that's it. the thing. The thing that holds police back is that their ultimate goal is to bring charges against someone and build up a strong mm-hmm. court case. So justice is served. The PI doesn't have that burden. Mm-hmm. So if they tamper evidence or, mm-hmm. or like do things that might not be on the up and up. It's, right. you know, if police do that, what's normal is it gets thrown out and sure. it's inadmissible, but the PI is just there to get information. Right. Mm. Yeah. Well, when Nikki's parents finally tell her what they've been up to, she could not have possibly been prepared for what the private investigator would reveal and what they had found out. The private investigator reveals that John has, in fact, been having an affair. Nikki, of course, is devastated. Her family is her life. Um, And she breaks down. You know, it's just really, really hard for her. Um, She doesn't wait. She doesn't sit on the information. She calls John right away to confront him about the affair. She tells John that she knows about the affair and the results are stunning. While most people would deny or break down or shift blame or, you know, kind of avert the conversation, John tells Nikki that the affair has made him realize he's no longer in love with her and he wants to move on. He's in love with this other woman and he wants to divorce. Nikki, of course, is distraught by John wanting to leave her. And more than anything, she wants to keep her family intact. 
when John tells her he wants to split custody, Nikki realizes that this is her bargaining chip to keep the family together. Nikki tells John that if he files for divorce, she will go after sole custody. John's afraid that he might lose custody of his kids, so reluctantly he agrees not to proceed with the divorce. However, John is adamant that he is not going to play happy family. He is not going to move back into the family home, and he lets Nikki know they're going to live separately. In order to be closer to his kids, John asks his company for transfer back to Ontario, California. His company grants his request, and soon John is back living with a friend and close to his kids once again, which makes me kind of suspect. I'm just going to interject because mm-hmm. I'm like, if you could just ask your company to transfer you back, like, right. why didn't you do it back then? Maybe he had to be there for a certain amount of time, put in that kind of groundwork. So, And maybe hindsight is twenty twenty. you know, yeah. maybe he just couldn't have predicted, you know, that. And maybe things they, would end up the way they did, and yeah. And maybe they ended up with a an opening, and that's why he could ask for the transfer. We just don't know. Who knows? Who knows? I'd be interested to know, though. Okay, we'll have to get a PI on that. <laughs> <laughs> I want that information. <laughs> well, so John's back nearby his kids, and John's friend is impressed with how active John is staying in his kids' lives, attending sporting events, school activities, and being present for them. With the kids getting older and spending more time in school, 35-year-old Nikki decides to make better use of her time by using her nursing degree, and she gets a job at a local nursing home. Most of the staff at this nursing home are young and single, and Nikki feels a little out of place. Her coworkers are having a fun social life with movies, dinners, dates, parties, and other functions. And it's been a while since Nikki has received male attention. And the affair that John had was a huge blow to her self-esteem. Of course. So when one of the cooks at the nursing home, David Olvera, begins to pay Nikki attention she starts to gain her confidence back. David is not like anyone Nikki has ever been around or spend time with. Nikki has been a suburban mom, you know, a church-going blonde, perky, sweet. David is the opposite. He's a bad boy. He has tattoos. He's fun. He's sexy. He's younger than Nikki. Um, He has a dangerous streak that she finds exciting. Nikki had gotten married young and really never had time to sow her wild oats, so Mm -hmm. to speak. So David is helping her catch up. You know, he's introducing Nikki to tequila shots, tattoos, and some darker things as well, like methamphetamines. And it doesn't take long before Nikki's done a complete 180 and no longer recognizable as the church-going mom She's now a hardcore partier. And I will say that methamphetamines or speed, as it mm-hmm. used to be referred to, um, in, you know, was really a, an, an unfortunately, a popular drug, you know, when I lived in Redlands. And so Redlands and Ontario are part of what people refer to as the Inland Empire. And mm-hmm. in the Inland Empire, you've got Ontario, Redlands, Fontana, Rialto, San Bernardino. I mean, all of those areas are very close to to one another. And um methamphetamines or speed was just very prevalent. 
And I feel like it's one of those drugs that catches up to you pretty quick. It does. It does. It's highly addictive. It's um, obviously a stimulant. And, you know, it kind of, it really changes um, somebody's features. Um, I believe that it kind of stunts people's maturity. Um, mm-hmm. If you do it over a long period of time, I mean, people are known to sort of lose their teeth and have very bad skin um, when they do speed. Oh, yeah, no. our precious skin. I mean, I'm 40. I mean, I'm not, I'm not messing around with my skin, honey. No. Put on my Korean beauty mask. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm good. We're good. Soon, David and Nikki are an item and romantically involved. Nikki is not only receiving in a substantial amount of money from her job at the nursing home, but she's also receiving money from John, almost like alimony child support before the courts enforce it. It's said that Nikki is making $11,000 a month. That's significant. It is, especially for that area. I mean, we'll, it will go a long way in the Inland Empire. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What are we doing? It's way too expensive here. David latches onto Nikki and her finances quickly. He likes the thug life. And while this isn't Chanel and wine and cheese parties, the drugs, the booze, tattoos, guns and the like don't come cheap. The party soon end up at Nikki's house and they're wild. They get so out of control that Nikki would sometimes have to hook people up to an IV to rehydrate them. I love this detail. <laughs> I mean, this is, yeah. yeah. I mean, and maybe I should try that on, you know, not not that I go should, out a lot, but when should, I do, where's the IV? Should we try that at our, at our next wine? We really, <laughs> we really, before and after. <laughs> we need Nikki. While these out of control parties were going on, Nikki's kids were exposed to all of it. John finds out and he is livid. He's absolutely furious that Nikki would be careless and expose their kids to this kind of behavior. John also learns that Nikki is dating David. While John doesn't have a leg to stand on to tell Nikki she can't date, he learns some shocking truths about David. David has a record. He's got gang ties and he recently served a lengthy sentence for raping a 16-year-old girl. Mm. Yeah. Mm. David isn't just a bad boy or a bad influence. He's dangerous and poses a danger to the kids. John tells Nikki that David can never be around the kids again. And I mean, that's a fair request. Totally, totally. Mm -hmm. But, you know, she's on drugs at this point and she's sort of kind of out of her mind. She's not her normal self. She's on drugs. She's getting this attention from him and making all kinds of bad decisions. And ironically, she still wants to keep the marriage together. Which is, yeah. Yes, it, you know, because she's still not wanting to move forward with the divorce. So it's... Right, uh, right. Even though all her actions seem to be that she's, you know, has moved on, but correct inside she's still wanting to hang on. He thinks they've gone back to normal life and that the arrangement they've made is back on again. When John gets a call from his kids late one night, David is back. John is now enraged and more determined to keep his kids safe. Nikki is spiraling out of control, yet is still very much decided that she won't let John proceed with a divorce. John, adamant that David be kept away from his kids, especially being a sex offender, he wanted him nowhere near his daughter. He drafts up a contract and gets Nikki to sign it, stating that she won't let David be around the kids anymore. They meet at a Starbucks to discuss. A lot goes down at Starbucks. Mm Mm-hmm. A tremendous amount. (laughs) (laughs) This is like crime in 2018. This is true. (laughs) John suggests they go to family counseling. He hopes this will assist in mending fences and help stabilize their unique living situation. When Nikki tells David about the contract John made her sign, David is angry. 
He doesn't like being told what to do and especially being told he has to stay away. John is now a threat to David's livelihood and could potentially stand in the way of the lifestyle that he so comfortably set up on Nikki's dime. August 16th of 2011, John is supposed to meet Nikki for a family therapy session, but he never shows. August 16th, 2011, a frantic 911 call was placed after shots rang out in an office parking lot in Ontario. Police and medics arrive on the scene and they find John Hilrich has been shot, but is still alive and breathing. John has been shot four times and he's lost a significant amount of blood. Upon arriving at the hospital, John soon passes away. The extent of his wounds are too significant. The police are stunned. Who would want to shoot this businessman in the middle of the day in his office parking lot? The first theory the police explore is that it's a robbery that's gone wrong. But John's wallet, cell phone, and keys to his sleek BMW rested beside him in the parking lot. So it was obvious that this was not a robbery when the attackers hadn't taken anything with them. The police quickly interview John's colleagues, friends, family, and even people in the surrounding area of the shooting. And one witness says he saw a man in a pickup truck speeding away, driven by a young Hispanic man. The police have some amazing luck. The witness was able to give the police the license plate of the pickup truck. While the police track down the owner of the pickup truck, they continue to interview family and friends. Of course, at the top of their list is Nikki. Her demeanor at the hospital, where John has just passed away, it's a bit different than most who have just lost a loved one. But the police have to do their due diligence and can't rule anyone out or in as a suspect until they speak with them. With robbery having been dismissed so quickly as a motive, and no other motive immediately apparent, the police bring Nikki in for questioning. Nikki shows the police a text from John stating that he's on his way to therapy. Nikki says that she waited at the counselor's office, but when John didn't show, she assumed that he had changed his mind. While the interviews were being conducted, the police were able to track down the owner of the pickup truck, one Kristen Morales. The police don't hesitate to reach out to Kristen, and she tells the police that she had actually loaned her car out to two colleagues, David Olvera and Emilio Saldana. The police had wasted no time and had even pulled all the surveillance footage from the parking garage. They show Kristen the footage, and she immediately picks out Emilio as the shooter, and the man who walks up to John, who shoots him in the blink of an eye. The police are hot on the trail of tracking down David Olvera and Emilio Saldana. It doesn't take police long to track them down, and when they do, they find David and Emilio with their bags packed, ready to skip town. Both men are brought in and questioned. David stonewalls the police. This isn't his first rodeo at police questioning. The police, with their quick thinking, know that they can't continue to interrogate David, but they can put him in a lineup. They put him in the lineup, and a witness who saw the pickup truck driving away identifies David as a driver of the pickup truck. So the police have concrete evidence that puts David and Emilio at the scene, but they can't tie them to John Hillrich. 
the police go to Nikki's place of employment and they reveal some information that sets the case on fire. The people at Nikki's work tell police that David and Nikki had been romantically involved and that Emilio is David's roommate and he was always hanging around. So there's the direct link to John Hillrich. John's sister, who is also interviewed by police, is able to provide even more information. She says that John had recently expressed concern for his safety in the weeks leading up to the shooting. And John had even said if anything were to happen to him, that David would be behind it. Mm. With David and Emilio in custody, they had their shooter. They had David at the scene of the crime. But what they don't understand is what role Nikki played. They purposefully don't tell Nikki that David and Emilio are in custody. When they asked Nikki, tell us about David, she looks surprised and declared that John and David never met. She denies any romantic involvement with David. Police detain Nikki overnight, and they're going to try to obtain warrants to search her home. Well, once in police custody, you are entitled to a phone call. And who does Nikki call first? Not her attorney, but her mother. Nikki pleads with her mom to go to her car and get her purse. And just a note that all these calls are recorded hmm. once you're in jail. I mean, I feel like we've said this a million times. Mm -hmm. All these calls are recorded. <laughs> <laughs> it's like amazing how many crime shows we've worked on where people will just say the most revealing things on calls like, Oh, did they, did they find the body or? <laughs> yeah. And not even just think about the fact that they might be being watched or recorded. I mean, that's insane. But the thing is, is there's usually signs next to the phone that says all of your phone calls are being recorded. And then every 10 seconds, there's a voice. Yeah. I've got okay, it no. on my phone where it'll say this call may be monitored and recorded. It's like, <laughs> I mean, they've just got this like majorly false sense of security talking to their loved one. <laughs> and maybe they're just very vulnerable at the time. But I mean, if you've got something coming on every 10 seconds saying you're being recorded. I'd be like, Jamie, I'm in county. <laughs> this is my booking number. Come see me in person. I didn't do it. <laughs> so Nikki is pleading with her mom to go to the car and get her purse. And the urgency in her voice suggests that there's something in that purse. So Nikki's mom tells her she doesn't have the keys to the car. And Nikki is so desperate. She says, Mom, just break the windows and get that purse out. Wow. What is Nikki after? Let's find out. The police are now certain that Nikki is hiding something. You don't tell someone to smash a car window for no reason. A warrant is granted and the police seize Nikki's purse. Its contents are shocking. There are post-it notes that have a to-do list that begins with, quote, John Hillrich must die. Wow. Okay, hold on. Hold on. I did not know this part was coming. This is crazy. Okay, Nikki. Come on, honey. Okay. It's, it's, I know it's bad to laugh, but to plan your whole murder on post-it notes is kind of... And literally, how much more clear can you say... John Hellrich must die. That's insane. Yep. And a Dear John letter to John explaining to him why he must die. The murder is literally... 
The murder is literally planned out on post-it notes. It's pretty stunning. This shows why Nikki was so desperate to have her mom break into her car and get her purse. On top of the already damning post-it notes, there are texts between David and Nikki that show Nikki giving David not only John's schedule and movements, but ways for David to disable the car alarm should John alert it during the attack. When it came time for trial, loyalties quickly became divided. The once friends and lovers now turned on each other quickly, willing to throw each other under the bus to save their own skin. When we produced this episode, we learned that Emilio actually tried to attack David in court one day and he had to be restrained. Oh, wow. And Emilio's the shooter, was supposed shooter. Supposed shooter, And the roommate. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And it was because apparently David tried to save his own skin by making a plea deal with the DA. But the DA was already so disenchanted with David and his bad behavior. She told him that she'd rather have a mistrial than to give him any less time than she was going for. This DA is a, a she's a bulldog for justice. Wow. And, and which um, the murder occurred in Ontario. So that's San Bernardino County. Mm-hmm. Um, would that be like San Bernardino Superior Court? I think it was. I think the court they actually went to may have been in Rancho Cucamonga. Oh, there is a court. Yeah, there is a courthouse in Rancho Cucamonga, and that is closer to Ontario. God, that's interesting. So in court, Nikki took the stand in her own defense. Her story came off as implausible and fabricated. This is always a risk, and this time it did not pay off for the defendant. When asked about the post-it notes, Nikki explained that she had been talking to a spiritualist who told her to write down all of her thoughts and feelings to help manifest better energy. Wow. The result didn't get the result she wanted. (laughs) (laughs) That didn't work. That didn't work. It seemed unlikely, but lo and behold, the spiritualist comes to court to testify. And she says on the stand that while she had met with Nikki, she never once instructed Nikki to write things down, let alone tell her to write down the blueprint to murder her husband. Nikki Hilrich, David Olvera, and Emilio Saldana are all convicted of the murder of John Hilrich. At the victim's impact statement, John and Nikki's daughter took the stand. Instead of expressing what a great dad John was, she uses her moment to ask the judge for clemency for her mother. The judge calmly told her that her mother was most definitely guilty and that she should come to terms with it and her mother's sentencing. In the face of this incredible mountain of evidence, there are family members of Nikki Hilrich that still believe she's innocent. It's overall a terribly sad case. It tore a family apart and left two kids without their parents. Um, So Bethany, I know that you worked on this case for a show and um, you had a lot of interaction with people who were, you know, in this case, mm-hmm. lived the case. So we're, and this is a weird kind of case. So did you, do you have any stories to share about covering it? I do. So we wrote to all three of the um, perpetrators and Nikki forwarded all her letters back home to her family Um, she never responded personally. And then Emilio had his aunt call one day and then she never followed up. Mm. Um, but David was very keen to talk and I have a JPay from him. He says, hi, Bethany. I know the show aired. My sister told me about it a while ago. She also said it didn't portray me in the best way, but then I guess that's partially my fault. (laughs) 
<laughs> a little bit. Not all the way, but a little bit. <laughs> Sorry, I guess it's partially my fault for not participating, at least enough to give my side of the story. But the story isn't over and the appeal is still pending. And I have a feeling it's going to work out in my favor. Take care out there in the free world. Till next time. Oh, very polite. Which was misspelled. He's very hopeful. Which was misspelled. When did he send this letter? This was in 2017. And then he sent another one. He says, Miss B. Jones, I greet you with utmost respect. That's interesting. (laughs) First and foremost, please excuse this intrusion on your day. It is never my intention to bother you in any way. And then he goes on and it's like a long uh, email. And basically, you know, they now can do videograms. You can do a 30 second video. And he's like, can you send me some pictures and a 30 second video? Because my family's telling me that they're sending it and I'm not getting it. And I was like, oh, no, homie, if you're not getting your family's videograms, that's, you know, I'm sorry for that technical <laughs> error, but I'm not. But I'm not going to send you new pictures of myself. No, no, no. thank you. <laughs> Writings only. Okay, can I just say, now Emilio worked with David, but were they not friends outside of work? And I guess the reason I'm asking is because David is described as sort of living the thug life. Was Emilio as well? Because I'm surprised at the way he greets you in letters. Yes. So... Both of them were. Um, apparently, David had some light ties to MS-13, mm. and he and Emilio were particularly close. And the police actually theorized that Emilio may have had a crush on David. David's, like, pretty hypnotic. He's okay. kind of draws you in with his personality. You know, when he greets you with the utmost respect, how uh-huh. can you not be drawn in? That's so interesting. And, you know, obviously that was never proven, but that was just something that they thought that perhaps Emilio became infatuated with David. And perhaps know? that's why he was willing to murder somebody for Girl. him. Right. Because otherwise... It's, What's he get out of it? And here's what's wild is that people think that this case must have gone on forever. They'd all only known each other for maybe no more than six months. Wow. Oh, my God. That's well, Nikki a, and David. Yeah. Well, that's a very, very quick unwinding of a life. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that she, within six months she went from this church-going mom to this meth-head murderess. Yeah. It's just like, man. It's sad. Divorce is hard. Like, wow, that, this one uh, <laughs> very, was very hard. This was a very hard divorce. <laughs> and um, I'd like to let everyone know that um, it seems the appeal did not work out in David's favor as he is still incarcerated. Hmm. Hmm. Well, keep us updated if he ever reaches out again. <laughs> let us know if you get any videos. <laughs> I know, right? I was like, no. <laughs> he was probably like, this Bethany Jones sounds really cute. Let me... Let me hit her up. <laughs> Emilio's still incarcerated. And someone told me Nikki's actually settled into prison pretty decently. Now, what was her sentence? She got, I want to say, 25 years plus an additional year for the commission of a firearm. Oh, gotcha. Like a special circumstance. Yeah. Interesting. So it's. 25 years. It's always interesting to sort of compare um, convictions. Like, you know, on the the, the case that we yeah. talked about previously, where I was a juror, um, he, you know, killed his wife with his own hands and it was first degree murder. Um, he got 28 years to life. 
And she yeah. got a sentence very similar to mm-hmm. his. Now, and I'm not saying one's worse than the other. I mean, she absolutely played a part, it sounds like, and that's terrible. And she should be, I just find it fascinating that she got a similar sentence to a man who did actually kill his own wife, you know, murder in the first degree with his own hands. She is eligible for parole in uh, 2032. Gosh. It's a long time. So that's a long time. Yeah, uh-huh. it is. And I mean, yeah, it sounds like she was involved and it's, it's, um, was pre-planned uh-huh. and, um, very cold blooded. I mean, obviously yeah. unnecessary, but how sad. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder what the status of their children is. I think they're doing okay. The last we heard, I mean, I, I hope they're doing okay and continue yeah. to do. Uh, to do okay. Well, thank you for indulging me and letting me, um, you know, read out my JPay from David Alvera, who, you know, does admit it's partially his fault. <laughs> That's nice. It's like unbelievable. <laughs> Sounds like he was only saying, though, it's it's my fault that I was portrayed as looking guilty on your show because I didn't participate in the, in show. the show. In the show. So he's not even like saying, you know, I played a part in this murder or anything like that. He's like, well, I should have participated in the show because then I wouldn't have looked so guilty. Exactly. <laughs> a little bit of narcissism there. I don't know. It's just a tent. Well, thank you everyone so much for tuning into our show. You know, the pros and cons present murderous Southern California. Remember to subscribe to the pros and cons on iTunes and follow us at the pros and cons show on Twitter and at the pros and cons podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to subscribe to murderish. Thank you so much, ladies. So much fun chatting with you. It was great having you, Jamie. Anytime. All right. Thanks. Ciao. Bye. Bye. Bye.